the, the date was January 8th, 2005. The occasion was the wedding of two dear members of this congregation, one who is smiling at me through the glass window on the other side of the door. Jason Tyrell was married to his lovely bride on that day, Celeste Tartaglione. Uh, my wife and I were newlyweds at the time. We were just seven months into our marriage, and as we celebrated on that joyous occasion at the reception, uh, someone snapped a picture of the two of us. I, my, I did not tell my wife I was going to be doing this, and she already knows where I'm starting to take this, and she's, I think, not incredibly pleased with me. Um, this was before the days of iPhones. This was before smartphones were that old. And uh, so we didn't see this picture immediately. And I don't remember exactly when we did see the picture uh, for the first time, but I remember distinctly when we did see it. And by Michelle's expression over the past 30 seconds, she remembers it well as well. Uh, the unrest that we both experienced when we saw this picture. Uh, there was for both of us seven months after our wedding, a marked increase in, how do I say it, uh, chubbiness. Uh, it was evident to us both that in those seven months we had, I believe the saying is, we'd let ourselves go a little bit. And we knew that we needed to make some changes. Now, I wonder if you have had a similar kind of experience. Uh, maybe looking at a picture of yourself like that, maybe it wasn't that way, but actually maybe you looked at a picture of yourself when you were younger and fitter and thinking, whoa, you know, what's, wow. Maybe it has nothing to do with a picture of yourself, but perhaps uh, the untimely death of a friend or a loved one. Uh, maybe a circumstance like this pandemic, which has perhaps cause some of you to evaluate your own health habits. Maybe it's the dawn of a new year when we tend to make resolves to uh, exercise more, to exercise better eating habits. Um, maybe you've had that experience, some circumstance where you have been driven to make some healthy changes in regards to your physical well-being. That's a good thing to do. Uh, the Word of God even tells us that bodily training profits a little. But that same verse, 1 Timothy 4.8, tells us that godliness is of value in every way, holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. And so I wonder, those of you who have made healthy resolves, maybe for your physical bodies, like, I really need to make some changes. Have you, have you thought much recently in that way about your souls? Physical training does profit a little. It's good to think about how you can be more fit and healthy physically in the new year. But have you thought that way about your souls? Uh, as we approach a new year, I want to help us engage in a little bit of a soul check, a soul evaluation, and I want us to use one verse of scripture uh, as our picture, if you will, to just take a look 
and see maybe if we've drifted a bit from it, if we've let ourselves go in some ways. And that scripture is on the front of your bulletin there. You can turn in your Bible if you would like. It's Romans 12, verse 11. Uh, if you're going to use one of the Bibles that are provided there on the seats, uh, under the seats in front of you, it's on page 948 of those Bibles provided. There are many verses that we could go to do the kind of evaluation that I have just commended, many, many verses that we could go to. Uh, this is just one that was impressed upon my heart uh, several months ago, and it has stayed that way. I do want to give some recognition up front here to a pastor uh, who some of you know well by the name of Brian Davis. I heard Brian Davis, who was formerly at Risen Christ Fellowship in Philadelphia, uh, now at Delray Baptist in Virginia. I heard him preach a sermon on this passage, and it has hung with me for about eight months. I'm not regurgitating. I have labored to not just simply regurgitate his message, but it was a springboard for me to thinking about this verse and pursuing deeper study, and I think it would be right for me to give him a little bit of acknowledgement here up front. Uh, I pray that as we would think about this one verse, that you would get some of the blessing from it that I have received uh, in the past year. So uh, let's read it. Just one verse. I'm going to read the verse. I ask for the Lord's help as we consider it. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, that's just so short, we could read that again. We could read it in Greek, we could read it in English, we could read it in lots of translations. I'm just going to read it one more time. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Father, we ask for your help. Uh, we are poor and we are needy. And as we are reminded with some regularity, uh, it's the spirit who gives life. Uh, the flesh is no help at all. So uh, my energy and zeal up here will not be of help, of spiritual help to us. We need your spirit to illuminate, to give us understanding, to help us make wise application and that you would give us a heart to obey what your precious word has to say to us this morning. We pray for this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Two considerations from this one verse that I want to uh, put before you this morning. Uh, there is first in this one verse a charge to God's people. Serve the Lord. And then we're, we're given here not only a charge, but we're told, we're given a description of the manner in which we're to carry out that charge. Not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. And so that's how we're going to consider the time together. Serve the Lord, and then this manner in which we are to serve him. Not slothfully, but fervently in spirit. I think that is the primary charge, that is the primary command here in verse 11, is that we serve the Lord. It, it may be an obvious thing, it's something that maybe we take for granted coming here. We, we use the language of Jesus' lordship often, and if, we're, if Jesus is Lord, that means we're his servants, and we perhaps take that for granted. It's so obvious we don't even maybe think about it sometimes, but we should think about it. It is an overwhelming 
unspeakably precious privilege that we might be called the Lord's servants. Now we know in God's word, we're not only servants of the Lord, right? We, there, there are many earthly relationships that we are uh, given which tell us something about our relationship with God. So even in other places in scripture, Jesus uh, speaks of us as his friends. The word of God speaks of Jesus as our older brother. Of course, we think of God as our loving heavenly father and we are his children. Jesus is the bridegroom and we, the church, are his bride. We're sheep and he's our good shepherd. Many earthly relationships that show us something about our relationship with God. But here is one Big theme in God's word, a rich and expansive theme. We, as Christians, are the Lord's servants. This is a title that God's people are proud to wear. Moses, this language of Moses being the servant of God is one that is spoken regularly. I mean, I'm going to say it's every time, but very many times in the Old Testament, is Moses spoken of as the servant of God. Uh, Young Samuel, when the Lord began to speak to him and he was instructed by uh, Eli as to how to respond to the Lord. Uh, Eli told Samuel, when he addresses you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. When when those uh, exiles from Babylon, when they returned to the promised land to resume, uh, to to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, and when they were queried by the governing authorities back there in the promised land, what are you doing? You don't have authority to do this. They said, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. That was their authorization to begin rebuilding the temple. They were servants of the God of heaven and earth. God's people are called to worship, even as we were called to worship this morning in Psalm 134. Uh, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, at the beginning of this letter, even to the Romans, he speaks of himself as a servant of the Lord. He's a servant of God, a servant of Jesus Christ. And we see all of the apostles taking this title upon themselves. I won't read all the verses to you, but you could look at 2 Peter, or you could look at James, or you could look at Jude, or you could look at the book of Revelation and see all these apostles introducing themselves to the recipients of their letter as servants of God, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's word makes clear that it's not just apostles, it's not just missionaries or pastors who take this title, but it is every one of God's people. This is inherent in our conversion. Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonian church to tell them and remind them of their experience, he says uh, that it was reported of them the kind of reception that the gospel had and how, he says to the Thessalonians, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And we know that every single person who has that blessed hope that we prayed of earlier of being in the new heavens and the new earth, worshiping the Lord, all who have that hope of heavenly glory are those who are servants of God. Revelation 22, 3, no longer, isn't this the day that we long for, beloved? No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. To take this title for ourselves, servants of the Lord, is to affirm 
that we are no longer our own. That's what we're confessing when we say we are servants of Jesus. We're not our own, but we are acknowledging and we are reckoning, we are confessing that we are owned and we are possessed by another. We are his purchased property, his slaves, his subjects submitted to him in total, exclusive, undivided allegiance. Attest yourselves by this. If you came in here understanding yourself to be a Christian, this would be good for you to consider. As Christians, we exist. Is this true of you? We exist to carry out his will. Not to do our own will, but to carry out his will. We, we recognize our position before the Lord in the words of that Roman centurion who, who uh, made appeal to Jesus. Do you remember this story in Matthew 8? The centurion sent some messengers to Jesus. He had a, a servant who was sick, and he sent to Jesus, and, and Jesus was going to come, and the, the, the centurion said, no, no, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. He said, just speak the word. And what he said about himself, he, he understood the, the servant-lord relationship. He said, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And that's what it means to be a servant of the Lord. That's our posture before the Lord. We are completely purposed on doing the master's will. For the master's glory. It makes me think of a hymn. There's a lot of hymns, a lot of songs that I was thinking of this week that we did not sing. Lots of them. I'll, I'll mention a few of them as we go. But it made me think of the hymn, take, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Amen. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. As servants of the Lord, we are committed to living not by the rule of our own preferences or our own desires, but all we are is devoted to all that he is, and we are committed to obeying all of his commandments. That's what it means for us to be servants of the Lord. And it is a great privilege. It is a great privilege to serve such a generous and gracious and kind and faithful master as the Lord Jesus. See, to, to serve the Lord, maybe it sounds daunting, maybe that sounds overwhelming to be in such a posture of submission to another. But Paul, as he writes this one verse, Romans 12, 11, I think we can be clear, we can understand that in his mind, this is a very reasonable, rational response to one who has showered us with such overwhelming mercy. See, if, if, you're, if you did open, I know it's just one verse, you don't really feel like maybe you need to have a Bible open, but if your Bibles are open, right, a little bit before Romans 12, 11 is Romans 12, 1, which is a big pivot if you're familiar with the book of Romans. For 11 chapters, Paul details the riches of God's mercy to his sinful people, and how he has loved them and how he has rescued them in Christ. And then in Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Amen. to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
And if, you, if you're using one of the Bibles that we have provided there, it actually, there's a little note there next to that phrase, spiritual worship, and it says down there, uh, rational service. It's an alternate way of, of reading the passage there. Ration, this is our reasonable service. This is our rational response to one who has showered us with such mercy. It was the mercy of God that brought Jesus to us as his own chosen servant in whom is all his delight. The prophet Isaiah was speaking of Jesus when it says in Isaiah chapter 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Even the Lord Jesus himself, the king of all, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he did not despise the title servant, but he came as a servant, though he was in the form of God, Paul wrote to the Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's, That's what we sang of earlier. He left his father's throne above. Jesus came to do that, to be a servant, even as we were reminded from Mark chapter 10, the son of man, this one to whom all worship belongs and is due, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as you, brothers and sisters, would consider this call to be the Lord's servants, remember the mercies of God to you in Jesus' sovereign servanthood. When, When we had aroused God's righteous wrath for worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter one, when he talks about that wrath of God being revealed against all humanity because we chose to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. When we had wretchedly and treasonously usurped his throne, when we were content to live as if he was unworthy of our eager and diligent service, when we were worshiping and serving ourselves, when we were in that condition, preferring our rule over his, when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. It was when we were in that condition. He who was before all things, he in whom all things hold together, he came in humble, joyful obedience to the Father's will to die for the ungodly. And in doing so, Jesus has delivered all who repent and believe. He has delivered all from the guilt and the tyranny of our sin so that we might serve him gladly, so that we might serve him joyfully all our days. That's what, the, that's what Zechariah, give you a Christmas text. I know it, we're, you know, not that many Christmas hymns to sing, but I'll give you a Christmas passage for this. The, Zechariah, when he celebrated the, the birth of John the Baptist, he said, blessed be the Lord, Luke chapter one, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
Beloved, consider the mercies of God in 2022. Thomas Brooks, I told you about Thomas Brooks. He wrote a book about precious remedies against Satan's devices. Well, Thomas Brooks didn't just write about Satan. He wrote some really beautiful things about Jesus like this. Sit down. You are seated already. Ryan, I wasn't just telling you to sit down. Keep walking that baby around. He's content. Sit down and wonder at this condescending love of God. Oh, what is in thy soul or in my soul that should cause the Lord to give such gifts to us as he hath given? We were all equal in sin and misery. We were once poor wretches sitting upon the dunghill, yea, wallowing in our blood, and yet behold the King of kings, the Lord of lords hath so far condescended in his love as to bestow himself his spirit, his grace, and all the jewels of his royal crown upon us. Oh, what heart can conceive, what tongue can express this matchless love. I will be thine forever, says Christ, and my spirit shall be thine forever, and my grace shall be thine forever, and my glory shall be thine forever, and my righteousness shall be thine forever. All I am and all I have shall be thine forever. Oh, sirs, he said, and I would say, oh, madams, I don't know, how do you, oh, people of God. What condescending love is this? Oh, what a Christ is this, that we should call him Lord, that he would be pleased to call us his servants. Do, Do you see why earlier I said this is an overwhelming, unspeakably precious privilege that we might be called his servants? Oh, I hope you never cease to be amazed by this. I hope you never become dull in your affections for what an astonishing privilege it is that we could be, that we sinners that we are, that we could be servants of the Lord. That's the fuel, this mercy of God that has come to us in Jesus. That's the fuel that fires our faithful service. We have been saved that we might serve him. And so I, I, I just wonder, if we just again, take this little phrase, serve the Lord. Just hold that up as a picture. How's how's your soul? Have you let yourself go just a little bit? How much is this status as being a servant of the Lord? How much is that really shaping your weekly planner? Do, Do you think of your days this way? Do you think of your months this way? Do you think of your years this way? They're not mine. They're for the Lord. It's it's very easy. Is it not, beloved? It's very easy to just wake up and to think very humanly about our day. The work that we need to do, the chores that we need to do, maybe the recreation that we've set up, our parenting, or whatever it is that we have to do. And we can get busy with a lot of things without really regarding our posture before the Lord. this, This phrase, serve the Lord, it means every aspect of our lives, every sphere in which we would live is the context for our servant hearted submission. It's what we have life for. You remember how Paul himself spoke of this? as he was getting ready, as he had spent his time in Ephesus and he was leaving 
uh, Ephesus and he gathered the elders of the church and he said, I count my life to be of no value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my race and complete the task that he set before me, the ministry, the service that the Lord has assigned to me. He didn't count his life of any value. If only he was faithful in doing his part to serve the Lord. And that's the posture, that's the mindset that he commends to all those who would give themselves to Jesus Christ as his servants. We take up that same mantra. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I mean, I could press in here and talk to you a lot of ways that you could get busy serving the Lord. You could just spend time in the, the little section of scripture in which Romans 12, 11 is found. If you look at that, if, again, if you're looking at the Bible that we have there provided for you, there's a heading there above Romans 12, 9. It says, marks of the true Christian. That's a pretty sobering label. That's a pretty sobering title. Now, that title is not inspired. The Apostle Paul didn't write that at the top of Romans 12, 9. That, those are inserted by the editors of this particular Bible. But that's pretty sobering to look at. If you want to see what this service looks like, or at least in some of its aspects, you could just spend the next week or two or year really pressing into all of these exhortations. They are commandments from your king. They're not suggestions. They're not a little bit of ideas. Maybe you might want to think about this. They're commandments from our king. We could talk about the specifics, but I really want you to simply think about your posture. Are we servants of the Lord? Kids. Kids, I don't know what you want to do or be when you grow up. There's many things that you could do that would be good. I wonder if you've thought about that. I bet you have. I bet you've been excited about one thing and maybe then it became another thing. You're excited about what you want to do or what you want to be when you grow up. But kids, I want to appeal to you. No matter, you he, the Lord may want you to do many, many different things. But I can tell you this, that there's nothing more important that you could do Nothing more important that you can be than to be a servant of the Lord. Kids, I want you to understand. I want you to hear me say that because I get loud and I'm talking. I use big words and I know you don't understand everything, but I want you to at least hear and understand this. God gave you life. And if you're here this morning, I trust he's put you with family members and he's, he's given you family that love him because God wants you to give yourself to serving him. And no matter what else you do with life, and you could do many, many good things, you'll never do anything greater than serve the Lord. Beloved, it's not just our privilege to be his servants, but we're called to serve him in a particular way. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So we are to serve the Lord, But we see that manner described there in those first two phrases of Romans 12, 11. Not slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit. We're to serve the Lord passionately, eagerly. I'm just just giving you more words to put flesh on these two phrases. Diligently, attentively, swiftly. We're we're not to be lazy or idle in our earnestness in serving the Lord. We're not to be hesitant, not to be dragging our feet because of the trouble that it would bring us to do what he's told us to do. 
When it says here not to be slothful in zeal, I don't think it has to do so much with the feelings that we have. I would say the fervent, we'll get to it, the fervency, that is, I think, a reference to our, our heart, our affections. But this, this not slothful in zeal, that word zeal there could be translated, I used some of the words already, diligent or eager or earnest or effort. I think it's depicted well by the psalmist when he expresses his own affection for the Lord and his eagerness to serve the Lord in Psalm 119, verse 60, when the psalmist says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. There's a diligence, a readiness. It might not feel, it doesn't mean that you just have this wonderful, happy, bubbly feeling necessarily, but you're alert and you're attentive and you're eager and you're ready. When he commands, you spring into action, not slothful in zeal. Uh, to be fervent in spirit here, it is literally the word means to be boiling, bubbling over, stirred up, enthusiastic, excited. We use this phrase, don't we, oftentimes of a, a brand new Christian. They're on fire. Right? You ever spoken of yourself or you've seen someone, that, that new brother or sister, they are on fire for the Lord. Well, here's a call to all God's people to be on fire in their service to the Lord. And I just wonder if that's something that you've given any consideration to recently. Are, are you seeing any slothfulness, dragging your feet, laziness in your service to the Lord? Has some of that spiritual glow or fervor that you once knew, maybe you spoke of yourself, or you can remember a time when others might have thought of you, not that it's about what other people think of you necessarily, but maybe you can remember a time when you were on fire for the Lord. And have you just seen that fire diminish and decrease and decrease? And have, and have, you, have you been okay with that? Have you just understood that to be normal? Wait, I just put God's word before you this morning. This is not a word to the brand new Christian. Hey, for the first six weeks, you're, this is how you're going to be. Then it's going to cool, and that's okay. Be fervent in spirit. How comfortable. I mean, I was, this is the way that I was pierced and have been pierced over the past many months how comfortable I can be at times. And I'm just asking you if it may be so in your own life. How comfortable we might grow with a persistent sluggishness in our serving the Lord. I know we can't snap our fingers and make us feel fiery. I understand that. Believe me, I understand that. It looks like I'm very fiery up here. And these four can tell you this is not the normal steady state me up here. I know we can't just snap our finger and make fire come. But is that even something that we're praying that God would rekindle among us? Help us oh, God, help us. More love to thee. More earnestness for thee. More zeal for thee. Is it a, is it a category of ways that we're praying? Uh, the, Thomas Watson, I've been on a real Puritan kick lately. I'm just, I've just grown a little bit tired of reading people who are, are still alive. I'm sure I'll come back. There's seasons, there's seasons to all the reading, but I've just been on a Puritan kick lately. Uh, Thomas Watson, 
has written that without zeal, there's no true godliness. He says this, what strangers they are to godliness who have no zeal for the glory of God. How many are of a dull, lukewarm temper, zealous, this was piercing to me also, zealous for their own secular interest, but with no zeal for the things of heaven. So how zealous we can be. Okay, this is, I'm a tangent. I'm gonna get back to Watson. How zealous we can be for our homes, our properties, our finances, our sports teams, our children and their success, our hobbies, our wardrobe, our technology, our politics. How zealous we can be for our secular interest with no zeal for the things of heaven. Hot, he says, in their own cause, but cool in God's cause. The Lord most abominates lukewarm professors. He's not talking about professors at Rowan. He's talking about people professing faith in Christ. The Lord most abominates lukewarm professors. I almost said he's sick of them. And he's got biblical warrant. Revelation 3.15, I would, this is the words of the Lord Jesus to the church in Laodicea, I would that you were cold or hot, anything but lukewarm, but because you are neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so Watson exhorts every professing Christian, as you would be found in the catalog of the godly, strive for zeal. There's great comfort to be found in Jesus. There's great comfort to be found in him, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And what does he say? I will give you rest. Great comfort to be found in Jesus for the most weary among us. But Jesus does not speak words of comfort to people who are cold and indifferent towards him and content to be so. And that's really important that you hear that last part, and content to be so. Jesus himself said that slothful service is a particularly great offense to him because lazy service shows little regard for the one being served. To serve him begrudgingly makes him look like a tyrant. It makes him look oppressive or cruel or unloving or harsh. Jesus, he tells a parable about this in Matthew 25. He calls him the wicked and slothful servant. Do you remember this parable where Jesus talks about giving a a, a man, a king, who gave uh, some talents, which was a, a portion of money, to his servants, and he told them to go and do business. And it says two of them, they went with haste. They were eager. They were not slothful in zeal. They went at once, and they traded, and they made a profit. But one, he was lazy, and he just sat with that talent that the Lord had given him. He didn't do anything with it. He just buried it in the ground. And Jesus says, his word in the parable is, you wicked and slothful servant. And then that wicked and slothful servant is called worthless. And he's summoned to the the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When it comes to serving Christ, half-heartedness, lukewarmness, laziness, sluggishness, they are utterly inappropriate. The prophet Jeremiah said, cursed is the one who does the Lord's work with slackness. Did you know the Bible said that? Cursed is the one who does the Lord's, who does the Lord's work with slackness, with laziness. 
And if, if you would look into your heart this morning, and if you would see that kind of coldness, that kind of apathy, sluggishness, Jesus has a remedy for that. And it's in that same letter to the Laodiceans, those whom I love, he says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Repent. Don't pout. I'm not commending that you pout this morning if you feel convicted by God's word. Don't fret. Don't even just try harder. Repent. To repent is to turn. To turn from our laziness. How do I turn from my laziness? Well, the first piece of turning away from that slothfulness is to turn to the Lord and to remember the zealous commitment with which he has come after you. Praise God, we are not saved. We are not brought into right standing with God by our zealous commitment to the Lord, but we are saved and we are counted righteousness by the zeal of his own commitment to us in Christ. Do, do you remember, uh, we just were in the armor of God, right? And I kept saying to you, in the armor of God, we go, this is all coming from Isaiah. Isaiah 59, where it talks about that divine warrior clothing himself with a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. And it says in Isaiah 59, 17 of that divine warrior that he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The Lord Jesus was zealous to save his people. He could truly say that for his father's house, zeal consumed him. And we know it consumed him to death. Jesus did not just come to do the Father's will, but he did the Father's will eagerly. He did the Father's will with alacrity. I love that word. That's the way we want to serve the Lord. We fall short, but Jesus served the Lord with alacrity. He was swift and he was faithful. It was said of him that I have this, the words in Psalm 40, they apply to the Lord Jesus. I have come to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. It was, the, it was his burning desire. He said it was his food. Do you remember that in John chapter 4? His food was to do the will of his father. And it was his will to ransom for himself a people who would be zealous for good works. Amen. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh, we should not be indifferent towards one who has so loved us, who has so purchased us. And so I ask you again, how's your zeal this morning? I speak to you, not, what was the word we heard him use? Talking about Brian again. It was a different sermon. I'm driving the struggle bus. Didn't he say that? We're all fellow strugglers. I'm just the one up here today driving the struggle bus. How's your zeal for the Lord? The, the degree of lethargy that I've grown comfortable with, beloved, is lamentable. How often and how easily I can make circumstances in my life about me and about my will. And even be thinking, because I'm a pastor and I know a lot of this, the times that I could be thinking, I know what it says. I mean, I don't say this out loud. I'm saying it out loud to you now, okay? But 
the times that I could say, I know what it says. I know how I'm to respond, but I don't want to. I don't feel like it. It's lamentable. I ought to be like one of those wicked and lazy servants thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet he knew all of that when he came to rescue me. If you feel helpless, if you feel empty, if you feel devoid of that fiery flame that we know we should have, you can pray for it. You could ask him to burn freshly in your heart and you could look to God. You could look to him. You could look to how he's loved you. You could pray, my father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. I'm about to read you a prayer. This is not me. I'm not that articulate. There at Calvary, their grace removes my burdens and heaps them on thy son, made a transgressor, a curse and sin for me. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy, cast off that I might be brought in, trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend, surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best, stripped that I might be clothed, wounded that I might be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made a shame that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a thorny crown, that I might have a glory diadem, bowed his head that I might uplift mine, experienced reproach that I might receive welcome, closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. He expired that I might forever live. The infinite sin debt that you and I incurred before a holy God was nailed to the second member of the Trinity who hung in your place, damned by your sins. Not just the wrong things you've done, but the disordered and diseased affections with, with which you've even done the right things that you've done. He bore it all so that you would only know God's favor forever. And he did that because you were so wonderful. Said nobody ever. He did it because of his mercy. And his mercy fuels us to this fervent service so that we sing all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. Jesus paid it all. And what do we say? All to him I owe. Have you grown tired, dear saints? Have you grown weary? Have you become distracted? Have you you lost your first love? If that spiritual fervor is low, it's because you've lost spiritual sight of your Jesus. And I'm I'm asking you, I'm, I'm trying to hold him up, say, look at him. Look at how good he's been to you. Oh, how deserving of praise. How deserving of honor. How deserving of a life poured out. We have been saved from our bondage to sin 
We have been rescued from the wrath of God. We've been delivered from our bondage and slavery to the devil. We've been freed from our captivity. We've been given God's spirit so that we can now walk in newness of life and serve the Lord with gladness all of our days. So I'm, I'm about done. How is your soul at the dawn of a new year? Have you, have you seen some ways maybe that you've just let yourself go a little bit? Amidst all the new year's planning and resolutions and ambitions, just wonder if you might just spend some time this week recalibrating your soul according to the measure of Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. As if you happen to be among us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, well, the be- have I not given you some reason that you would turn away from ruling yourself? Do you think you could be a better ruler and king and Lord than this one who has so loved his people? Oh, I would appeal to you if you're here and you've not put your faith in Christ, if you're not sure, if you've really put your faith in Christ, if this message is making you question whether you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, I I would love to speak with you. I'd love to talk with you after the service to help you to understand what it means to give your life to Jesus and to serve him. I said it to the kids earlier, but I would say it down to all of you. There is nothing greater that you can do with your life than to give your life to serving Jesus. He is so deserving of praise. He loves us so deeply when we fail him so miserably. May God make us all ablaze with passion and with eagerness, bubbling over in spirit. May he say of us what Paul wrote of the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that they were excelling in earnestness that same word translated zeal in Romans 12, 11. The Corinthians were excelling in eagerness. It can really be done by real people. Do you remember the Corinthians? <laughs> Some of you do. They were a mess. They were a hot mess, if you don't know. And yet, by grace, through Paul's admonitions, they were at a place where they were excelling in their eagerness, in their earnestness. May it be said of us as well. And, and I just have to close with one more, if you could just bear with me for another 90 seconds or so. There's, I, I prayed about it earlier. There's some among us I trust, you're a, you're a faintly burning wick. And you're, you're, you're easily wounded. And you're hearing me and what, what you've heard me say is just bringing you further to despair, that you just see so, so little affection in your heart for him, so little zeal. I just want to close and just share with you a real good word from J.C. Ryle. Not a Puritan, but he's a, he was pretty good. I like him too. And he wrote on Matthew 12, 20, that verse where it speaks of Jesus as not breaking a bruised reed or quenching a smoldering wick. Would you just hear this word? If you particularly struggle with assurance of salvation, would you just hear this word from J.C. Ryle? And I'll, I'm, I'm done here. The doctrine here laid down. He's not talking about Romans 12, 11. He's talking about Matthew 12, 20, which is a quotation of Isaiah where it talks of the servant of the Lord, Jesus, not breaking a bruised reed 
and not quenching a faintly burning wick. The doctrine here laid down is full of comfort and consolation. There are some in every congregation that hear the gospel who are ready to despair of their own salvation because their strength seems so small. They are full of fears and despondency because their knowledge and faith and hope and love appear so dwarfish and diminutive. Let them drink comfort out of this text. Let them know that weak faith gives a man as real and true a saving interest in Christ as strong faith, though it may not give him the same joy. There is life in an infant as truly as in a grown-up man. There is fire in a spark as truly as in a burning flame. The least degree of grace is an everlasting possession. It comes down from heaven. It is precious in our Lord's eyes. It shall never be overthrown. That's the kind of Lord, Lord we're charged to serve, beloved. So let's serve him eagerly and diligently and fervently in 2022 and as long as the Lord wills. Love you, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, even when it rebukes us. We ask that you would forgive us for our sluggishness. We cannot blame a pandemic for it. You mean for us to be fervent in our service to you in the midst of a pandemic that just seems to keep going on and on and in every other circumstance that you've called us to. Father, may we embrace it as the circumstances in which we can glorify you. May it be the sincerest longing of our souls, what we're about to sing, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. He indeed is worthy of it, and we ask that you would fan that fire more and more into flame. To love one another well, to love the lost around us well, to spur and, and catalyze some of us even to unreached peoples of the earth because we so zealously want to see Christ honored in all the nations of the earth. Father, work in us and be pleased to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine in this new year for your glory and for our great joy. We ask this all through Jesus. Amen.